0: We are facing a mental health crisis and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at betterhelp.com. Use the promo code solvinghealthcare to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's betterhelp.com promo code solving healthcare. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca.
1: Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Qualcast Nation, I am excited because this might be the youngest group of docs. That we've had on the show. Now that I think about this, and this really excites me because it points towards an optimistic future when it comes to metabolic health. We got Dr. Laura Buchanan and Dr. Matt Calkins in the mix. Welcome on the show. Thanks, Thanks for so having us. For it's having great us. to be here. Yeah. And we got little James. He's not in the. You can't see him in the picture right now, but they have a six-week-old, which always well, warms my heart as a, a dad of three three boys you guys got you got some work to do you know what <laughs> i mean you know a few years down the road but um i i'm really i just want to say out of the gate i'm really proud of you guys for taking on this idea of reversing metabolic disease reversing type 2 diabetes and it takes some honestly some courage because there's a lot of opposition and resili- and and resilience needed to 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 take that on. So number one, I want to commend you, but maybe we'll start start with Laura. Like w- what got you into this space? Like what, what made you curious about it? What made you want to learn more about it?
2: Yeah. So to make a long story, a little bit shorter, and during medical school, I, we had our two week nutrition elective, basically our curriculum that unfortunately it's, I think like a lot of medical school nutrition curriculums leaves you with not much to take away as far as how can I practically help my patients. And um, and so I started, and during it, you were taught some things about, oh, saturated fat's going to kill you, some old kind of standard dogma in addition to the classic vitamin deficiencies. So I started reading a ton and just doing a lot of research on my own. Nina Teicholz's Big Fat Surprise, Jason Fung's The Obesity Code, uh, Gary Topps, I mean, just Kept going, then started listening to Low Carbon D podcast and was really angered almost by just feeling like we were being told a lot of partial truths. Or And um, from there, I got a continuous glucose monitor in the fourth year of medical school. And that really opened my eyes. Uh, I love the story. Matt and I were eating these healthy oatmeal cookies, low sugar, high fiber, skyrocketing my sugar, close to 200. And I've been doing that every day for over a year what yeah terrible <laughs> and so my eyes were opened and as soon as residency started i was practicing low carb for my patients and we both have been low carb since then
1: amazing amazing what about and what, what about you matt like wh- how did you come into this landscape relatively the same thing
3: as laura we met in medical school so we really uh shared the same interest in metabolic health uh for me it was there's a in medical school, they teach you that all metabolic diseases are chronic and progressive. Diabetes, obesity, you're going to be on medications, you're going to increase the medications, you're going to have it the rest of your life, and you're eventually going to get the end organ complications from that, whether that be the amputations or the, the dialysis. And it's really hard to be motivated to want to, to basically take care of the metabolic health of the patient in such a way. I actually decided to go into emergency medicine instead. Emergency medicine is a fantastic specialty, and as a medical student, you can't not love it because you do all the exciting, fun things. And then as a resident, uh, I was an EM resident, an intern, and I realized that that's not where I wanted to be. I fell so far downstream pulling people out of the stream, and you could be 100 miles up the stream telling people not to jump in. Uh, so I made the switch to actually family medicine because I realized that what we were told in medical school it's it's kind of the lazy way out. If you use medicine, if you if you use if that's the only tool in your toolkit, these diseases are chronic and progressive. However, if you can help patients realize what they need to do is to improve their lifestyle, we both use low carb ketogenic diets, then it is not a chronic progressive disease. You put these diseases into remission. People do it every single day. They get off of their medications. They don't ever have the complications. The last 24 hour shift I was on in the hospital in residency, I had to admit a patient at 2am with necrotizing fasciitis from a diabetic foot wound. And that is something that I never want to have happen for anybody else ever again. That's my vision in life is to, is to shut down every podiatry OR except for bunions in the country. Like there should never, there should never be a podiatry, a a podiatry, (laughs) Emergency operating room procedure at two o'clock
1: in the morning. Oh man, you're speaking my language. Like, uh, I love the perspective of being an emerg doc and, and 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 seeing the end stage of all these conditions. It's Similar, I mean, it's kind of a similar story for me with the from the ICU perspective. Yeah, by the time we see them, it's it's too late. And trying to educate folks on how they can avoid seeing someone in the eMERGE or seeing someone like myself in the intensive care unit is absolutely empowering. And I'm curious in terms of, Well, I'll go to Laura here, when it came to being in residency and applying the low-carb ketogenic approach to your patients- was it, was it well-received? How did, what was the opposition like with your preceptors? Cause obviously you have to run it by them, right? So what was that experience like?
2: Yeah. So I'll do both kind of the hospital setting and then also the clinic setting. So in the clinic setting, uh, initially there was definitely some pushback. I would get fasting insulin labs, sometimes C-peptides. If I had someone on insulin, I wanted to make sure it was safe for them to titrate completely off. And I would get pushback saying, why are you ordering these labs? This isn't standard of care. And I would explain my reasoning, some of the background science behind it. And they would actually be really interested. And they wouldn't necessarily agree, but they're like, okay, you know, you have good logic. Go for it. And so after I had several patients whose A1Cs were above 12, 13, 14, and I would not treat them with insulin. I would treat them with a ketogenic diet. And they would actually, in three, six months, come back with A1Cs around six, around seven. And when the preceptors would see those results, there was no question. I mean, at that point, they were like, wow, this is incredible. How, like, how is this happening without medicine? And so the more that I just spoke to people and let them see the results rather than try to uh, argue just only with here's a paper about it, here's a paper about it, just let them see it. I started getting less pushback. Same thing with calcium scans and kind of explaining my logic about the benefit of having, knowing someone's calcium score and helping further risk stratify them. Initially, there was pushback, but in, in the end, people were all about it. And in fact, people would start coming up and asking me, hey, do you think I should get a calcium score on this person? Or do you think they could come off with this medication because we're, we want to do this low-carb diet? So it was really cool to see that switch in the mindset of not everybody, but a lot of people.
1: Mm, amazing, and I, just to explain, for calcium score, is basically looking at your risk of of cardiovascular disease, and yeah, and and so I I that's a better experience than I would have anticipated, Laura. If I'm being honest, and but I do think there's a leadership lesson there for creating changes. You do it at a at, at a micro level, and and if you lean on action, it's way more likely that you'll you'll see some change as opposed to as she, as as Laura mentioned, like. Just giving them the paper, you know, there's only so many. Like you could dissect through a paper and and crit, criticize it to the ninth degree, and often that's enough, not enough to create change. But if people are seeing it with their own eyes, you're creating that change at a micro level. That that could be quite powerful. And and Matt, did you did you have similar experience as well? Like when when it came to implementing it into your practice, minimal to not at all. Uh, I think that's
3: the, the one of the most important takeaways uh, from you know, physicians, providers, uh, allied health professionals that are listening to this is that if you're going through a fight for something you know is right for your patients. Uh, in our case, it was the ketogenic diet to improve metabolic health, which is not yet widely adopted, even though there's a lot of emerging evidence. The the small battles that you fight and the small battles that you win will make it that much more easier. For for when the next person comes through in your footsteps. So by the time Laura Laura was a year ahead of me in residency, uh, she paved roads for a full year before I got into family medicine my intern year. And it was basically already done. I could order the insulins uh, so I could more easily counsel patients on their full risk of metabolic disease and nobody ever really, nobody batted an eye at, at that. Calcium scans for the full risk stratification. Uh, I actually got a lot of our co-residents to do it now And there, because if you look at the AHA guidelines in America, there's a large swath of people you can get them on in order to help them decide what we need to do about their risk. So these are things that in the moment, it's really hard. And I'm not going to discount. There have been a lot of people who have been put through a lot of hardships to to do what they know is right. I hope it's a consolation to those that are going through that now that you're you're helping the next generation, which is helping patients.
1: Absolutely. Like, I, I can't emphasize how exciting this is to, he- to hear, like, this next generation of docs that are creating that change, that see the light. I, I still, I'm still curious, like, what, there's something in you, right? Like, there's something, because, like, say in your class, Laura, was there anybody else that was looking at low carb and keto and, and looking at root cause, like, was there any, like, did, did you feel like you were an army of one or were you, like, did you like have like a battle cry where a few of your colleagues were like, yeah, let's do this.
2: We had at least one other friend who he would dive down all the rabbit holes with us, dig into the bottom of the research. You know, what is the underlying pathophysiology? And, and we loved going to coffee shops and just working for hours on this stuff with him. Um, I'll
1: give shout-out Dustin Anderson. He listens to this. <laughs> um, shout-out to DA, Dustin Anderson, changing the boogie. We love you, big guy. Yes. No, like I said, that's exciting to me because it's, like, if, if I were to be honest with you, like, when we started to make this show four years ago now, oh, my God, this was kind of the – you were, like, the target audience, if I was being honest, like, the young up-and-coming docs that – Can that are open to change? Because I often I find like my age or older, they're pretty resistant to change. But it's it's powerful because you your your colleagues will see it, and now you're impacting the lives of your patients. You're you're, like I'm sure even your nurse colleagues that you see in clinic, their eyes must be open like wide open when you guys are in the mix.
2: Yeah, I mean when you have a patient come in to see who's lost sixty pounds. And then the nurse obviously notices that because they're checking their weights and seeing the before and after. And then they ask me about it. I'm like, oh yeah, they went keto. Their A1C also dropped six points. And that is really powerful. And so the message does definitely spread that way, which is great to see. The other thing that is super exciting. So one of our other colleagues and good friends who um, during residency was actually very passionate about this stuff as well as, uh, got her metabolic health practitioner through the SMHP as well. She is now faculty and she has actually with us created a metabolic health elective for residents to take. And the first residents are now taking it uh, this week, actually. So that is incredibly exciting. And I think this is how things grow.
1: That is incredible. So what what does that elective look like? Do you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah,
2: no, so, You spend a couple of days doing just lectures that Matt has actually created some of those lectures, a little bit on the dietary guidelines, how we got here, how some of the research that shows red meat, you know, quote, causes cancer, the flaws in that research and analyze how to properly analyze that research and epidemiology, logical studies. And then you have, uh, you go work with a preventative cardiologist, you go to the obesity medicine uh, weight loss specialty clinic here at our, uh, facility. And then you spend a little bit of time with her. She has her own personal kind of weight loss clinic. She'll do with patients for metabolic health as well. And, um, I think that's, that's, so it's a little bit of asynchronous learning with the lectures, a few, uh, point papers to read and analyze, and then going through a few of those other clinics.
3: Yeah. I think the, the beauty of the elective is that you'll, you'll, this is a, Low-carb ketogenic diet attending, uh, but you'll also rotate through with some of the uh, physicians that are that practice in some of the older models. But I think the the beauty of where we're at today in 2023 is that over the past five years, the published data we have about ketogenic diets to reverse or put into remission metabolic disease has exploded and we've never really been in this situation before i think before before let's say 2015 there wasn't really a lot you could you could hang your hat on but now we have dr tro's pilot program 12 patients they improved their a1c by i think it was uh 1.5 points or two points and lost 12 kilograms dr david unwin in the uk an all-comers type of clinic in the nhs Mm -hmm. system if you live in the footprint of a gp practice you have to go to that practice Forty percent of his patients with type two diabetes said yes, and of those that had diabetes for less than a year, he put, I believe it was seventy to eighty percent into remission, just from them saying yes and going on a keto diet. You have the Verta Health two-year data, and then we also had the awesome opportunity to rotate through uh, Dr. Eric Westman's clinic. That's the Duke, seriously, Duke yeah. Keto Medicine, and he always says at the every every at the end of every single one of his talks, he's like, if you want to come see how I do it. All you got to do is ask. And I, I implore people to, when you hear this, take them up. We both rotated through with him for a week in residency yeah. during one of our electives. And it was it was an amazing
2: experience. And I just got to, I have to, so his data. So I took notes on all of the patients we saw. 35 return patients. There was 1,300 pounds of weight loss, 150 inches off of waist circumference. And 13 medications were stopped. And this age range was 35 to
1: 78 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's a good point you make, Matt, about the data, the data, more and more data coming through that gives it, gives it teeth. Mm-hmm. As, you know, it, uh, that's obviously the first level of, of, of of data people want to see is like studies to be able to create some change. But I often say it's not enough. You know the the in terms of trying to create changes, as we talked about earlier. So, I, I'm curious from your perspective, like your your involvement with H. I always get the acronym H-M-S-P? S-M-H-P.
2: SMHP, Yeah, S
1: M H. Oh my god, S M H P is like it sounds like you're 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 doing some special things. So, like what what is what are some of the things that you're doing with H? Oh my God, SMHP.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm the chair of the resources committee for the SMHP. Uh, this was a professional organization founded in 2019 that seeks to promote evidence-based medicine regarding a low-carb ketogenic diet. And we have uh, basically an accreditation where you can get a metabolic, you can be a metabolic health practitioner. We have physicians as members, uh, PAs, NPs, health N- coaches. health coaches, allied health professionals, RDS. Everybody who's interested can be a member. Uh, on the resources committee, my goal is to do essentially what Laura did for me. I want to create resources for one provider to take to their clinics and say, this, this is what I want to do, and I want to give them other resources to easily implement using low-carb ketogenic diets. So currently, we have a, a sample of a low-carb ketogenic diet page that's based on Eric Westman's famous page four. Basically, it's a one-sheet handout that can have everything that a patient can eat unlimited amounts of or uh, certain amounts they have to reduce or medicate, or, uh, foods that they should stay away from, like high-carb foods if they're doing a low-carb diet. I have other handouts on there that basically has the data we just talked about that if it can be a conversation starter with the administrators of a clinic. Two things we're working on, uh, probably the two biggest projects at the moment. We're looking to get uh, AC CME accredited, which just means we would be able to offer uh, AMA, American Medical Association, Category 1 credits for CME, Continuing Medical Education, which would be huge because we now have low-carb FOCA affiliated with the SMHP. We have low-carb San Diego, which is starting here in a few weeks, and we also have a new journal. So we have the Journal of Metabolic Health, and this is a journal where people can submit case reports, case series. Uh, bench research, clinical research, uh, anything that has to do with metabolic health, and you can help disseminate evidence-based medicine to the world. Uh, And this is a low-carb, ketogenic-friendly paper. Uh, So the addition of CME into that is also incredibly helpful. The last thing we're trying to do is create, kind of like what they had at our residency, just created a nutrition curriculum that if you are a medical student or a resident, you can sign up to take a 2 or 4 week asynchronous nutrition curriculum where you learn about a low carb ketogenic diet to supplement whatever they learn in or whatever they don't learn in medical school or residency.
1: Brilliant. What like what a great way of providing people with the resources to make informed decisions cuz yeah, I mean, clearly this is what people need and 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 i'm curious along with the diabetes reversals do you guys get into a little bit about like the the low carb keto with other medical conditions like I, I don't know if you guys have been interested in chris palmer's work and and so on so i'm curious to hear where your heads are at with that
2: yeah that i love chris palmer's work his book brain energy highly recommend everyone read it um, the results a lot of the time when i see patients in clinic we are focusing maybe on their diabetes or maybe they're coming to see me for weight loss but what is amazing and happens so commonly is they tell me oh i stopped my reflux medication i have one patient who got off of nine medications for maybe four different medical conditions and that was all through the ketogenic diet so that was one intervention off of nine medications and I have patients tell me my anxiety's never been better. Their depression symptoms are improving. So that's kind of on Chris Palmer, the mental health benefits that we see from lifestyle changes and from the ketogenic diet specifically. And I, now I haven't specifically worked with patients who had schizophrenia or bipolar in this area, but the data uh, they published a paper on 31 individuals who had refractory mental illness to um, from schizoaffective disorder, bipolar, major depression, and were hospitalized. And their results were staggering. I, oh, I'm going to forget the statistics, but the number of individuals who got off of medications and then actually went from, it's the global... Um,
3: severity se- index. Yeah, yeah,
2: global severity index that went from very severe to none. Was huge. Complete remission. Yeah, and so that so not only are we seeing complete remission of diabetes, high blood pressure, reflux, so GERD, uh, we are seeing refractory mental illnesses, meaning they've been on numerous medications and have failed, and are hospitalized because of it, getting going into remission, and uh, that is incredible.
1: A hundred percent. That that to me is yeah. I got to see Chris Palmer speak at Low Carb Denver about the impact of mental health in, in terms of going to ketogenic diets. And that was for lack of a better word, enlightening. And it exactly. makes sense. Like, you know, like when you think of inflammation, uh, being a driver of, of many diseases, no reason to think that same information that we're seeing in patients is not happening in their, in their, in their brain. And, and so, and it's and it's just pretty, it's powerful to think of what you eat or how you eat can impact impact your your health to that level and like i mean it's a motherly statement like a lot of our i don't know parents grandparents would probably say clearly uh, you got to think about what you eat but it's not something we we talk about at all in medicine like i was surprised you got 2 weeks of con- like for us, I think it was a day or two hours. It was a two hour lecture of nutrition. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's interesting.
3: I think the I think the tide is slowly turning. The medical schools and residencies know now how important nutrition is for metabolic health. It's just a little bit misguided uh, in terms of how they go about teaching it. for For everything that the ketogenic diet uh, basically improves or ameliorates. Uh, Eric Westman says it best at almost in every single one of his talks, he says, it's so unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, and that's kind of when you start mm-hmm. talking to people about, hey, we can reverse or put these diet like diabetes into remission. Oh, and by the way, there's new data that shows that it helps with mental illness. And by the, by the way, there's a case series that shows that it actually helps with anorexia and bulimia nervosa. I actually was talking to uh, somebody in a Attending workroom about the ketogenic diet, and somebody not in the conversation uh, turned to me and said, "I was I was harming patients by recommending the ketogenic diet. They were going to have eating disorders." And there is never been any data for that. I, I just think there's for how much good data we're having now. There's still this massive amount of, of inertia in medicine at large to at least not allow other providers to offer this. In my opinion, everybody should say should have the opportunity to say no to a ketogenic diet at least yearly if they have any sort of underlying mental health or metabolic disorder that could be improved by it.
1: Man, inform, informed decision, what's a shared decision-making, informed yeah. decision-making? Like, I wanted to cuss there for a second, but I, I don't want to cuss in front of James. Here. <laughs> but like, it it, 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 it actually pisses me off, if I'm being frank, that we have so much bullheadedness In our profession, like I, I, like I saw a lot of it during the pandemic. Like I mean, I don't know if you know my story, but I, I this wasn't on my radar at all. I didn't look, you know. I did a little bit of fasting for myself, but then when I saw the amount of metabolic disease for COVID patients as an ICU doc, like literally, I did, and I say this in, in in every talk I give about metabolic health to this day. I have yet to take care of a healthy person, like a completely healthy person. They could have been pre-diabetic and people will say like there were no medications. Yeah, but you know what? They were, their BMI was 35. Like it was, there was still, there's risks there. And even our patients that were in their 20s, most of them were approaching, if not more than 300 pounds that I dealt, with, that, you know, that we that we saw. So I I think the amount of, Resistance to change in our profession, frankly, just gets me. uh, Like it, it it upsets me. And I I, once again commend you guys for for taking this on because it's it's not easy. Like if uh, it's not easy when you're at times going to be the lone wolf talking about many of these issues. But getting back to that point though about shared decision making, it's. That's always the out for young docs or nurse practitioners, whoever. If you say to your patient, you know, this is what we I know about uh, ketogenic diets. This is what our other options are in terms of the medications or starting you on insulin. But this would be my recommendation. These are the risks. These are the, 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 the benefits. How do you feel about that? and adding and if they're willing to take the quote-unquote risk of going on a ketogenic diet for for whatever reason and they're competent well you're 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 covered like as long as you're clearly articulating what you the, the pros and the cons are and and so i i know there's a lot of resistance amongst young docs, like when you're dealing with your, your supervisors and stuff but I'm telling you as a seasoned doc, like this is the approach. If you think that something is remotely controversial, you, you're you just upfront with the patients and you have that shared model for making a decision. But yeah, I, sorry for the rant, but it yeah. is, it's a, it's a, it's, such, it's a trigger for me.
2: It's such a good point. And I, you know, I was, the clinic experience kind of going back a bit was amazing. And after just pushing through a little bit of walls it was great. In the hospital, unfortunately, it's not the same. And uh, maybe that's because of, well, oh, I guess I think there's many factors that play there, but there is one particular instance that just stands out, and I think this is we need to fight for our patients, and sometimes you won't win the fight, but at least you can try. And we had um, I was working on the pediatric floor. And we had a twelve year old admitted with new type two diabetes with an A one c of twelve. And in the morning, we had to give him a lot of extra insulin following breakfast because his sugars were sky high after already giving him a large amount of insulin overnight. And it was because he had pancakes and syrup for breakfast. And so I, during rounds, I asked my attending, I said, hey, can we put him on a low-carb diet? <laughs> Dan Megan's making some noise.
1: Babies are always welcome on the show.
2: Thank you. Um, so, so I asked, will you put him on a low-carb diet? And the attending was like, are you trying to kill him and cause a heart attack? And I looked at him like, no, his sugars are really high and we're having to use a lot of extra insulin. So we wouldn't have to do that if we put him on low carb. And then I you know, I, I said, I think actually the data doesn't support that the low carb diet is actually going to cause a heart attack. And he said, well, what are you going to give him? Because I don't want to give him fat. I was like, well, we can do higher protein then. And the attending said, so you're going to kill his kidneys. And I just, I was very respectful and kind of talked, I was like, I actually don't think the data supports that in people who have perfectly healthy kidneys, high protein is actually going to cause me harm. And we went back and forth a little bit. The rest of the room with the other residents and the fellows were dead silent. It was, you know, kind of awkward (laughs) little intern me and the attendee going back and forth. Um, Unfortunately, the attendee won and the kid got all the carbs he wanted and lots of insulin for the rest of hospitalization. But I think you should still fight for your patience. And maybe at some point, maybe I put a little something in the back of his head that made him start second-guessing or thinking about things another way.
1: Absolutely. Next time the mats of the world grew that rotation and said the exact same thing, then he's starting to realize, like, yeah, you're being foolish and close-minded and not rational. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I just makes me want to Yeah, I was really, really um, that that would be that would be infuriating. A, yeah. Any other kind of myths that you often have to address when it comes to to low carb or keto? Like definitely the I mean as you mentioned the kind of the worry about uh, about fats. I don't hear too much about the protein side, but I'm just wondering is there common uh, common uh, misconceptions that you you often have to address?
2: Uh-huh. I get asked about kidney stones quite a bit and then gout. The data, I mean, in the Virta Health two-year study, there was no kids, uh, cases of kidney stones or gout flares, even in individuals who had gout previously. Uh, I personally have had many patients who have had a history of kidney stones as well as gout who have never had any issues once they go on a ketogenic diet. Um, I do monitor you know, their uric acid levels and just monitor a little bit more closely, and but I have not had issues there. Um,
3: I think one of the the most egregious is the belief that people will go into ketoacidosis from a ketogenic diet. Uh, Unless you have some profoundly underlying issue or you get like acutely ill with like a gastroenteritis, I think it just shows a severe lack of the underlying knowledge of the physiology of of what a ketogenic diet does. Ketosis is completely normal and natural uh, for a perfectly metabolically healthy person, especially overnight. we you can measure ketones and, in the morning and they, they could and should be 0.3 to 0.5 uh, on a finger stick. So it's something that people go into every night, but I think a lot of the concerns about the ketogenic diet just comes from a place of inertia from like the 70s and 80s and then largely ignorance nowadays. Because like I said, the with the the new data we have, if we're truly an evidence-based society uh, of medicine, then... People should be reading this data, and they should be realizing, hey, the adverse events in the Virta Health study are are low, and people are getting off of their insulin, and Dr. Tro's program, and Unwin, and and uh, Eric Westman is publishing all of these randomized control trials about low carb versus other dietary patterns, and low carb's doing great. But I mean, that's it's been out there for five years now, and it takes about on average ten years for medicine to change. So uh, we just need to keep plugging away.
2: Yeah, I guess. I'm- I'm sorry, one more is the red meat causing cancer because people go keto and you eat all this red meat. And the the data on that, I I don't know if you've gone into the epidemiologic studies before, but if you look at food frequency questionnaires and they give, you what have you eaten in the past year basically? And I've taken one of these before and it took me 45 minutes and it's comical to go through. And maybe you get three of those over the course of a decade. So you have three time points and then it's like how many hamburger patties have you eaten what they don't figure out is how many when you eat those hamburger patties are you having a a large fry a milkshake are you having the buns or am i at home cooking for myself eating a hamburger patty that i made with maybe some broccoli on the side or maybe i just had three hamburger patties and nothing else (laughs) so they they don't control for any of that and then the actual absolute numbers even if you trusted the data are tiny and so it's really unfortunate that that is such um, a large concern and propagated by uh, a lot of organizations still, and even the WHO, who warns about um, processed meats and red meat causing cancer, but being a potential carcinogen.
1: Yeah, I must say, at a personal level, I agree with you in terms of the, the study analysis. Those, like the, those, aren't like when you have to go. Th- through memory and the association of uh, typical foods that they might have on, on top of that. Like I, it does not put it this way for those listening. like, I still eat my red meat in abundance.
2: Yeah. I had
1: two ribeye steaks yesterday, yo. And I got some for lunch today. Just a little bit of leftover. I'm going to hit that up. And I, and it's just something that, to me, like, you also got to think of the benefits too. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have had any, any change in heart or thoughts about protein intake. There's been a bit of a movement in whether you were low carb or not, like, uh, it, in terms of how important protein intake is. And I must say over the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, putting this on my radar, I've definitely amped up my protein intake. I feel like this is a, an excellent hack for for folks to optimize their health.
2: Yeah, I'm right uh, there with you.
3: Yeah, I, uh, the, I think the two things we don't do a great job talking about in medicine uh, in terms of disease states would be one, sarcopenia, and two, social isolation. Social isolation is this whole other concept. As you get older, it's just harder to connect with people, and then you basically... You don't have a lot of interaction with other people, but sarcopenia is, I think, muscle
1: loss. By the way, yeah. for golden English.
3: So it, yeah, and and it can be associated with like diseases, like you could have uh, like COPD and things like that, or you could just have muscle wasting as you get older. And if you're living into your 70s and you don't have the muscles to do what you want to do, that is that is a large that is a large burden on somebody, in my opinion. So. I'm the same way. I actually started increasing substantially my protein intake about the same time you did. And I, I put on actually a couple extra pounds of muscle and started lifting heavier in the gym too. And I've never felt better. And I think that extra bit of muscle you can put on when you're able to do it because everybody gets injuries and you're going to be on vacation. And there are, you know, you can't always do what you want to do in terms of sustaining your metabolic health. The muscle that you can build when you can build it can Sustain
1: you through those times when you can. Mm-hmm. I yeah. To me, it was it was a big aha. We had Ted Naiman on the show. He was talking about his uh, protein to exp, uh, energy expenditure ratio, PE ratio, and it was just one of these. The whole time I'm I'm hearing him talk, I'm like, this makes way too much sense. Like the idea of well, definitely the muscle genesis, like the you know, maintaining muscle or increasing muscle mass, which even as from a diabetes perspective, great soaker of, of glucose, mm-hmm. great way of managing uh, uh, insulin sensitivity. But then uh, talk about the satiation, like being fuller, talking about you're less likely to go towards crappy foods when you're fuller. It, it just weighed way too much sense and and for me I, yeah similar thing i put on about maybe two three pounds uh since really amping up my protein so i go we well, u.s so like 0.7 to one uh, um what am i saying gram per pound um where i at least where i go for and uh i i yeah. I love it. I, I love it. It's, it's sometimes I won't lie though. It is sometimes challenging to go to, to meet your requirements. Like I often have to add a shake or a bar, but yeah, I, I, I never felt better since, since uh, implementing that.
2: Yeah.
3: I really, the, at the end of the day, I think that's, that brings up like one of the other great points is that dietary changes are an iterative process. So just because you had a study that showed that there was no improvement in the outcomes after a dietary intervention. So one of my least, or most frustrating comments and least helpful comments in medicine is, well, after five years, everybody's the same anyways. Like when you do dietary studies, that's not a problem of the diet. It's the problem of the intervention. And you have to figure out how to deliver interventions. How are you going to tweak that diet to get it more sustainable? You got to you increase the protein to 1.5 grams per kilogram? Uh, do you have the closer follow-up? Like with Dr. Tro, they have the health coaches. Uh, the touch points are immense. Continuous glucose monitors as well. For ketogenic diets, you can basically, it's like having a health coach in your pocket, actually. You can eat something on a low-carb diet pattern and know immediately whether that meal fit into your dietary pattern, and you can use that for the next meal. Uh, so the, the finding that protein is higher protein can be helpful is I, th- I think it's an amazing breakthrough. Like if, if people, if I had a crystal ball and if somebody is going to eat higher protein and that's going to keep them from gaining the weight, which is going to keep them from diabetes, which is going to keep them from the foot amputation, I'm on board. There are so many eating patterns that I, that are completely I, uh, like reasonable if that, if that can be prevented. So iterative process, we're getting better at this all every single day. And uh, it's all about tweaking the intervention to the patient.
2: I think something that is so awesome about what Tro has created is helping or is addressing really food addiction. Because that is another thing that's just not discussed or talked about. And as Matt mentioned, it's a problem in the intervention, not a problem that the patients aren't being able to follow the advice. It's the advice is either wrong or it's just not good enough. So Eat Less, Move More, perfect example, doesn't hardly help anybody. But with Trone, what he's created with having our wonderful health coaches, the front desk, get the touch points, an app where you can have asynchronous learning, a community where you can have a a chat that people all the time are talking, a get help now so people can put in the get help now chat and immediately 20 people or more might respond and say, what did you do in this scenario? Because it is life, a lot of stress and things just happen. And it's when things are really stressful or when stuff just hits the fan, that's oftentimes when people end up just swinging through the drive through or going to get that ice cream that makes you feel better get the dopamine rush from the unhealthy food. So it's being able to help and intervene at that really stressful point. I think that is so critical and what hopefully we can get more and more clinics and more providers and people doing to try to help patients from ever
1: going way far off track the the psychological component is way underrated like we don't i don't think we draw enough attention to it and it's once again you're not really diving into it in medical school but it's it's a huge aspect of overeating and i think having that support system and having the tools as like as Talk, when Doctor Tro was on on the show talking about alternative di- alternative options for when you want that, whether chips or what have you, like it's so so good. Like it's it's it really is where we <clears throat> where we need to go. Um, this has been awesome, Lauren Matt. I really am excited about the future when I hear you guys and I hear your passion and hear about your involvement with SMHP and really trying to be leaders and I mean I shouldn't even say that you are leaders that's what you are uh, and so I just really want to commend you for all the work you guys have been doing if people want to learn more about any of your initiatives SMHP how do uh how do people how do people hit, hit you up yeah
2: so people can just go to the smhp.org Uh, to go to that website and access to a ton of great free resources. And then um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, although with James I've kind of taken a step back, but at Lauren Buchanan MD. And then we have a substack called agingsuccessfully.substack.com.
3: And I'm on Twitter at Matt Calkins MD as well, although I've also taken a a smidge of a step back during
1: my parental leave. Amazing. Amazing. Great work, you guys. And thank you so much. Oh,
2: and sorry, one other... um, if you just go to drtro.com that way, if you've got uh, any interest in um, what we have to offer as well.
1: So good. Thank you so much, you guys. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you it was thank great. For, thank for what you do. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Laura Buchanan and Dr. Matt Calkins. You heard where you could hit them up. We are super proud of these guys. I want to thank our sponsors, BetterHelp.com, largest online counseling platform. You've got to check out BetterHelp.com backslash Solving Healthcare and you get ten percent off. Check out Element. This is what I use anytime I I gotta do some exercise. Post exercise when I'm fasting, sugar-free electrolyte drink, they're balling. Go to drinkelement.com backslash quadcast and get your free sample pack. That's drinkelement.com backslash quadcast. Also make sure to check out our 28-day reboot course. Those that are trying to get into the health kick, we keep it simple. Highly effective ways such as Increasing your protein intake, getting your 10,000 steps in, turning off your screens an hour before bed to enhance your, your your sleep. All these steps that we do together to try and improve our health and wellness, check out 28dayreboot.co. That's 28dayreboot.co. If you want to learn more about what we throw down, go to drquedro.ca. And lastly, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, that's quadcast.substack.com quadcast.substack.com. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, threads at Quadcast. You can leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We constantly want to improve on the show's content. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening. Talk real soon. Peace.